we try to take a couple of times a year, take a service to remind ourselves of the importance of serving. And, and I say a couple times a year, we talk about serving all the time because we can't help but talk about serving all the time. Because it's central to the gospel story. Jesus lived a life of serving. The Christian call is a call to service. And so even last Sunday, at that long message we heard, the very end of it, we talked about a verse that said, serve one another in love, right? Serving is always coming up in our, in our theology because it's central to the Christian message. So it comes up often, but a couple times a year, we try to take a Sunday where we just focus on serving opportunities and full disclosure, that's our focus point of today. We usually try to do it in the fall, but before October, it's usually in August, but with all the construction outside, we kind of shifted our schedule around, and we're talking about it today in October, and usually early in the, in the calendar year as well. We want to remind us of the importance of serving as followers of Christ, and also we want to use this time to raise awareness for opportunities to serve in our local church and some needs we have for people to serve in our local church, and at Lighthouse Church. And um, this is a big deal um, for a lot of reasons. For many of us, uh, serving the Lord and serving the Lord through the local church is, is something that we've given our lives to do. Um, I, was just, I was thinking about it as I prepared this message and thought, thought to make that statement. Michelle and I have been doing this for a long time, way before uh, pushing, not quite to 24 years yet, but pushing 24 years next month of being pastor at Lighthouse. Um, before that, Michelle and I have, um, we served as young people. Before, uh, as a teenager, I worked in uh, kids' ministry in our church. Uh, when, we got, when we were dating and getting married and in college still, we served in a lot of ways there. We worked with the educably slow uh, special needs um, uh, teens and adults for, for seven years uh, prior to becoming a pastor, just serving in that department for those who had handicaps. We uh, served also at the same time uh, with third and fourth grade inner city children in an outreach ministry. We were very involved in inner city work in a number of ways at that stage of our life. We uh, worked in a nursing home during the week that had about 50 residents would come down and share uh, service with us. We um, we just have been involved in church a long time just as volunteers because we believe that serving and serving together as a faith community is important. And then, of course, now, we, I get, you know, for the last long time, I've uh, had a chance to serve as a pastor and as a pastor's family. But we believe in the mission of the local church, and, and we believe in the call to serve uh, through it. The local church is a big idea that Jesus introduced. Um, it was his idea. He talked about it. And we have built our lives, many of us, and a lot of people who are very involved, neck deep involved in it throughout the church, volunteering your time and, and things you do. So many of you do things all the time. We've built our lives around the idea of this local church that Jesus founded and its perpetuity and its function and its success. And the big reason why is because we believe that we can do more together than we can alone. We believe that as we get involved in you know, I can individually do a lot of things. I can individually give to causes. I can individually serve. But when we come together as believers and we fellowship with each other and we connect with each other and we, and we worship together, we can, we can leverage our, the synergy of our corporate serving and giving to, do, to make a bigger dent, to make a bigger mark, to, to be more focused and, and impa impactful into our community. And so we are always talking about how we can do this together. 
And serving is a big idea. And you can serve a lot of ways. And I don't want to belabor this point because Anthony's going to do it later at the end of the service. But, you know, you can serve in your home. You can serve, uh, we should. We, you can serve your, your spouse. You can serve your children, your parents, your, your neighbors, your, your, uh, your coworkers, regardless of whether you're the boss or not. We can serve in so many ways. And we should have, we should have a life centered on serving rather than a life that's centered on self and selfishness. But as we focus on that mindset of, of being serving people, because Jesus modeled it for us, one way we can serve is to get together as believers and have that synergy, that collectiveness that allows us to do things in our community uh, through our giving and our serving, but also allows us to provide a facility that people can walk into on any given week and, and, and have a place ready to serve their babies, their children, their needs, greeting, you know, music, everything that happens, the cleaning of the place, all that happens to make a Sunday possible to be a gospel lighthouse in our community is because of people who serve to make it possible. It just can't get done. And it's, it's, it isn't magic that just happens every week. It's, it's a lot of hard work by a people who say, we can do this together. And so we always want to make you aware of it, and we're going to do that today. At the end, Anthony's going to talk a little bit about that. He gets the hard work of making the pitch to you. I get the easy job of talking the, the scriptural side and being the guy on stage when we passed out the goodies. So, uh, th- th- so that you'll hate him and not me instead. Of, right? that's, that's my goal in life. Um, just joking, okay. But anyhow, seriously, the Christian life was never intended to be consumeristic. I want to make that clear. We live in a very consumeristic culture. Okay, we do. We know that. We're rich, we're Americans, we're very well off compared to much of the world, and it caters to our consumeristic mindset. But the Christian life was never intended to be that way, but rather to be sacrificial. That's what Jesus modeled. And I know that we've all known Christians and churches and religious people that were not that way. That's just a perversion of the gospel is all that is. That, that Christ uh, modeled service and sacrifice, not a consumeristic mindset. The local church is a place not only, to not only attend, but a place where we can engage. And for different seasons of our lives, sometimes we can't engage as much as far as serving because we have a lot going on. But at some point, hopefully there's a, a desire to do something and God sparks something in us to, to serve more because that's what it really ultimately comes down to as we follow him. Now, this is one of those topics where there is no shortage of verses to explore in the Scripture. We can go on and on and on all morning long from the Scriptures. I'm going to tell you two quick, I'm going to read with you two quick Bible stories because Jesus himself modeled this. It was a central theme. He spoke about it often. In fact, he often had to remind his disciples, his disciples who were with him, would get visions of worldly grandeur frequently as they watched him teach and as they watched him heal and do all the things that he did. And this is crazy because he had to constantly remind them of what it was all about. And repeatedly, in fact, our first story today will, will show us that a little bit. Um, well, the pre-verses will. We won't read those. But it's interesting with Jesus is that he was serving that's what he was doing. He, left, he laid aside his heavenly privilege and came to earth and took on him the form of a servant and humbled himself and gave his life and sacrificed. And while he was here, he, didn't, he, lived, a, he lived a minimalistic lifestyle. If you want to talk about minimalism, the ultimate minimalist is Jesus. Didn't have a place of his own. To, he, you know, he just kind of went about and slept where he could and traveled light. 
his disciples went with him. They, uh, my goodness, they, I mean, they, they were just uh, serving all the time. And as he went around and healed and cast out the demons and raised the dead sometimes and healed the sick and fed people, the crowd would sometimes gather because of that. And as he got the crowd to gather, he would teach them in those moments. He would teach them about God's love and God's kingdom. But his disciples would once in a while see the crowd gathering, people appreciate, people flocking to, for healing and to listen, and they would get visions of grandeur. They would say, whew, this is something going on here. It's good. This is going someplace. And then they would start wondering where their position was in it. And Jesus had to constantly remind them, don't look at the apparent success of what's happening. Look at the serving that's making it happen because the call is to serve, not to be esteemed. And so one of the best stories is found in Matthew 20. The backstory is this. Uh, amongst Jesus' disciples were two very young brothers, very young guys, named, uh, James and John. Very, uh, we're not going to read the, the, this part of the story because we've done it before. We'll do it again another Sunday. But these two brothers were very young, but they saw all that Jesus was doing and serving, and they saw the crowds. They saw the, so they came to him one day, and they said, we have a request for you. They actually brought their mom to help them. And they, basically, we want to have a position of esteem in your coming kingdom and reign. And a very, we won't get into the details, but it's, it, was quite the, it was quite the ask, is what, they, is what they asked for. And Jesus basically has to stop and say, you're missing the point. And he, and he kind of asks them some questions and tells them what he's calling them to. When he's done correcting them, the other disciples were upset with them. I think they were all pretty young for the most part, but not as young as these two. But they were upset. Like, how, how could you? You think you're better than us? You deserve a bigger uh, a spot at the table someday, so to speak. And they were upset. And they, and they kind of began to bicker with each other. And I think that, you know, Jesus is probably like, ay, 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 you know. So he just, he has to stop and sit them all down and talk to them once again about what this is all about. And he says to them in, in Matthew 20, verse 25, says, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So we're just going to park there for a second. Jesus is saying in this world's economy, in this world's economy, getting to be a, in a position is all about having people honor you, esteem you, and serve you. That's the, that's, the, that's the goal. You get something, you achieve something, and now, hey, look at you. Look at me. Maybe I have a little bell I can ring now. People can wait on me because, you know, I got the title. Who, who's, who's the person dispatched to bring me my coffee now? You know, I don't know. And, 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 and so the idea in the world is you get ahead, and you get well-known, and you get loved, and then people cater to you. And Jesus is saying, we're not supposed to be worldly. Now, I grew up in church world. I mentioned this a lot last week, but where, you know, verses in the Bible were sometimes weirdly used. One of them was, don't be conformed to this world. That's what Romans 12 says. That's a great verse. I always heard it, whatever the, the speaker didn't like in culture was worldly, was being preached about. But the truth is, is that's a great statement in, in Romans. Don't be conformed to this world. That's a powerful statement. And it's taught throughout Scripture. But this is what it's talking about. It's this kind of thing. The idea that in this world, it's about my advancement. In the world, it's about me getting ahead. In the world, it's about, about dog eat dog, survival of the fittest, give me what I need. I'm, I'm, it's, all, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me. 
And so that, that struggle is that people in the world system want to get to a spot where they're somebody. Now you wait on me. I've heard, I've heard men say before, I had kids so they can grow up and take care, serve me. That's what I had them for. Oh, nice. And uh, I want to start my own companies. I don't want to listen to anyone else, but I want people to listen to me. Cool, you know. And, and everything is about me and getting ahead and getting ahead of my neighbor and being a better off. That's the world. That's how the world operates. And Jesus said, that's not what I came to do. I laid myself aside and came to serve. But the world system does this. Those in authority look at those who are under them or beneath them as people who are there to serve them. Jesus said in verse 26, he says, but among you, it will be different. In other words, if you are my followers, if you are my disciples, it'll be different. This is I know it hasn't always looked this way by people who use the name of Jesus, but it's supposed to. Because Jesus says, if, among you, if you really are my followers, it's different than it is in the world. Whoever wants to be leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. In other words, we're not striving to get first in line. He says the first is last, the last is first. He says, you're looking to say, I want to serve. And if I get a chance to be considered great, then I have more influence by which I may serve. And if I get a position along the way, that position is a better platform upon which I can serve. And opportunities come so that we can better leverage the oppor- those opportunities to serve the world around us. That is the Christian life. And it's so easy for us to kind of drown this out and glaze this over, but this is central to the life of Jesus. And he goes on and says in verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he said, I came and I laid my privilege aside and I stepped into the world that I created that walked away I could have just written off. And I, I said, let me humble myself. Let me submit to the needs of others let, let, for their sake. Let me serve. Let me sacrifice. Let me make a difference. He said, I didn't come here to be served. He didn't come here like Loki, you know, landing here in the Avengers. Uh, everyone bow the knee to me, right? He, he came and he said, I came here not to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life as a ransom. For many. That's the call of Jesus. Now this conversation that we just read was not the only time that he had that conversation with his guys. It just, he, had to keep, he had to keep having it, folks. He had to keep saying it. Because again, he was, he was serving. People would come and they get these big ideas in their heads and he's like, guys, you're, you're not even looking at what I'm doing. You're thinking about what's in it for you. That's not what we're here for. And he repeated this more and more times all the way through his ministry. By the way, if you're a teacher working with young people, coaching them, guiding them, parents raising kids, I know sometimes that this, this can feel attention you have. Like you're like, I've tried, to t- I've tried to tell my child over and over again, this is why we do what we do. This is what we don't do. This is what's wrong. They, they, maybe they have a certain bent and you're trying to teach them out. You're trying to give a model, an example of how to live and you're trying to teach them and, and sometimes even have tension because you've got to say, we've got to be better than this. And, 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 and you feel like, I've said it a hundred times. I'm wasting my breath. And I know, look, I know I get it. I get it. 
that whatever their individual struggles may be may feel like it's a nonstop challenge to keep trying to work them out. And you think maybe you push too hard and then, nope, it went over the head. And it can be very easy to wonder, am I even making a difference? And I think Jesus probably is walking around saying, guys, here we go again. This is not what it's about. He's saying the same thing over and over again. But I want to encourage you in that. You're not alone for one, but for two. I believe that that, that is the, the key for us to be an example and to instruct and do it for a long time. And, and sometimes, even if someone goes off the path, there's something to come back to. There's something to anchor to. There's something to see that one day can say, you know what? I know what it's supposed to look like. I remember. I, boy, it's, it's a funny day when you said something a hundred times to somebody who never seemed to agree or listen. And then one day they grow up and they repeat it back to you like it's their idea. Well, you know, it's, we're supposed to be this way. You're like, really? Well, that's a great thought you had there. You know, where'd you get that from? I don't know. God told me that. Hmm. You know, but, but you just keep reinforcing what's right. And you keep living by example. And don't doubt that in the end it makes a difference. Jesus had to say this over and over. By the time he was dead and risen again and moved on, those disciples figured it out. But it sure probably didn't seem like it along the way. Anyhow, he had one last shot. He had one last shot. He was about to go to the cross. The day before he went to the cross, he had one last meal in the upper room with his disciples. It was Passover time. It was an annual feast. Jerusalem was packed out with people from all over the place who saw him do miracles all over the place. And so the audience was there. The stage was set for the grand, grand, powerful moment where hundreds of thousands of people poured into the temple itself plus the city of Jerusalem. The place is filled beyond those who live there. The masses that live there are are, are filled to the brim with the the, uh, sojourners for Passover. And he's on the grandest stage ever. He's going to show them what sacrifice and love and salvation is. But before he does, he has this last meal, this Passover feast time meal with his disciples. They're gathered in an upper room. He's going to be arrested later that night, put on trial, and crucified the next day. And it's his last chance to say these words one more time. And so... He does. In John 13, verse 4, we read the story. It says this. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Now, you cannot imagine how absolutely uncomfortable this must have been in that space. Not because their feet were being washed. That was a custom in that culture. When you went places, oftentimes there was someone there, either the person who was being hospitable, or there was a servant that worked there, that the servant's job was to wash your feet, because you may have well bathed and been pretty clean when you arrived, but when you walked around the streets in your sandals or your bare feet or something like that, your feet are going to come in dirty. So you'd come in and someone would wash your feet That was common for a servant. But all of a sudden, it's Jesus. That's a whole different ballgame. He's their rabbi. He's their their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord. He's not supposed to be doing this job. So when when they see him get up from the table, they're like, what's he doing? He takes off his robe, his outer robe. He puts his towel around his waist. They're like, is he going to wash the dishes? Can someone else do that? 
he gets the basin of water and he comes over and he gets down on his hands and knees at the, at the feet of one of his disciples. I mean, can you imagine if there was gasps in the room? Can you imagine if there was shock? As they, as they, what's he doing? And he begins to wash their feet. Like, you're above that. That job is beneath you, Jesus. But he's been trying to tell them something a long time, and now he's going to model it for them. He begins to wash their feet. It had to be incredibly uncomfortable for him to be doing that. In fact, it was uncomfortable because one of them spoke up, and you know which one spoke up, don't you? Peter. That's Peter for you. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I am doing now, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. This is so Peter right here. If you read this, this is so Peter. You're, shame on you. Get up off the ground. What's wrong with you? you know, no, you will never wash my feet, he said. Here, Jesus just sighing a little bit. He said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, that's, that's a whole bigger conversation that I could spend a whole service on. That's not the point of our sermon today. But basically, he was saying, I'm picturing the gospel. Because in the few hours, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to wash the sins of the world through his service and sacrifice. And he's, he's trying to make a statement about, about this. But it's a much bigger analogy he's using here. But he's trying to explain this to Peter. You've got to let me do this. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Well, Peter loved Jesus, so when he heard that, when he heard Jesus say that, verse 9, Simon Peter exclaimed, well, in that case, in that case, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not touch my feet. If it's about belonging to you, just wash me all over, man. I mean, douse me. I'm ready. Because I'm in. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. You've already, guys, you came in, I'm washing your feet here. You know, you know the drill. But he's making a spiritual analogy, and he says, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. So he's referring, and this is, this is important. You disciples are clean, but not all of you. What does he mean by that? He's referring to the spiritual side, the spiritual washing through his service that, that comes by our faith in him and what he, he does for us, by accepting, by accepting what he does for us, what he did for us on the cross. And as he's washing their feet, he's like, you know, all of you are clean. All of you are washed, spiritually speaking. Verse 11, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, you are not, not all of you are clean, not all of you are cleansed, not all of you have, have accepted and received my service for you. Not in this moment of foot washing, but in the spiritual sense of Calvary. Now, that's a whole, again, I'm tiptoeing into another sermon here. Here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus said that, he was referring to Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot would be the one who would be the betrayer of Jesus. In just a short moment here later, a few, just a little after they finish eating their food, Judas Iscariot is going to leave the property and make the final signing of the contract, so to speak, to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's already been in conversation with them, looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He's not, this is one of the guys that Jesus chose to be with him and walk with him, and he's, he's walking away. Here's what I want you to understand as I say this. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, not just his loyal ones. He's about to go around the room and wash the feet of the one who would betray him. Of the one he knew 
was plotting against him. And he's going to go and wash his feet as well. He's making a powerful statement. And it was powerful. Think about this. Until the next day, when he was going to, they're going to shockingly see him hanging naked and tormented and beaten and suffering on the cross. Up until the next day, that would be shocking to them. Until then, this was the most shocking thing that Jesus had ever done. I mean, he had done some more awesome things. He had healed people, did miracles. Those were incredible. They were, they were phenomenal. But shocking to see him down here on his hands and knees washing his disciples' feet as a rabbi. It was so impactful. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down. I can picture the silence the rest of the time after Peter spoke up. It's just a silence. And he finishes up silently, puts the stuff, puts the towel away, puts his outer robe back on. He sat down and he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? Yeah, you're washing our feet. Do you understand what I was doing? He said, you call me, you call me teacher. You call me Lord, rabbi. And you are right. Because that's what I am. I am your teacher. I am the Lord. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I don't think in this moment he's saying you need to literally wash each other's literal feet. Although that was culturally normal back then. Um, I think he's pivoting the analogy. I wash your feet to show you service. You should do the same. You should serve each other. I don't think he meant, although back then it would have been normal. But I know churches that do that. Have you ever been to a church or heard of a church where part of their religious expression is they come on Sundays and they actually wash each other's feet in the service? I don't know if you've, if you've spent one or you've seen that or heard about it. I could not survive a church like that. I'm going to be honest with you. And it's not because I'm beneath washing someone's feet. I'll wash anyone's feet. I'm not against that because I'm glad to serve. But I just don't want to take the, you know, my clodhoppers off and, uh, and, and, and have, you know, like, if I walked into the building, like, take off your shoes and socks, we're going to wash your feet. I'd be like, well, see you later. I'm, <laughs> those things are hidden for a reason and I don't want no part of that. It'd be very awkward for us. That'd be a way to shrink the church real fast. Some of you would be like, all right. And others would be like, no way. So um, we won't ask for a show of hands who would like that more and who would hate it. But anyhow, I don't think the point was literally washing someone's feet. The point was Jesus was saying, let me show you the ultimate position, the ultimate posture of service. And you know I'm somebody in your estimation. And I, he is, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord. But look at me show you this posture. You've not been listening. I've been saying this over and over again. Guys, if, if I can do this, you ought to do it for each other. In fact, he's talking about the bigger idea of serving. In the next verse, verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. That's the whole point. He says, I have not just told you and taught you over and over again. I have modeled it for you. I've given you an example to follow. Do. That's a big, big word there, isn't it? Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. In other words, he says, if I, it's, not, if it's not beneath me, it's not beneath you. Verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And this is so powerful. Now that you know what, what, what following me looks like, Jesus said, 
God will bless you for doing them. You say, bless me, how? A Corvette and lots of good stuff. Well, for Jesus, that blessing led him to an old rugged cross the next day. So we may not measure blessing the same way. He died serving. But I think that it all turns out good in the end, right? See, we have a, sometimes have, have a bigger time horizon than just the earthly benefits that we think of, like the disciples would think of. Who gets to sit in the important chair, you know? He was saying, God will bless you. In a life that means more, in a life that has more fulfillment, in a life that finds more value than all the empty stuff that you can chase, and once you get it, it still leaves you empty. God will bless you with a life of joy and meaning. God will bless you for doing them. That's the key word. Because a lot of times we think that the Christian life is only a matter of faith, and faith is the beginning. Faith is, faith is salvation, comes through faith, by grace through faith plus nothing. Salvation is a free gift of God. We are called to believe. But, but there's a step beyond believing. It's a call, a call to follow. It's the ultimate call that Jesus gave over and over and over again. And he said, follow me. Lay down your life, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, follow me, follow me. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done. And he says, if you'll, if you'll do these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you not just when you believe the right way, but when you'll do the right things. God will bless you when you take up the mantle of Jesus and follow his example in culture around you. And shortly after he said those words, they finished their meal, took communion, left the building, went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed for them on the way and talked to them and they sang. They got there. Sometime later, he was arrested and tried and crucified. And he would demonstrate the ultimate act of service as God humbled himself and served his creation, submitting to fill the need that their wrongdoings had caused. It was the ultimate act of love demonstrated through service. That's what we're... That's, that's the whole, that's the heart of Jesus in every part of our life, not at home with our, in our husbands to, serving your wives. Wives doing the same. Parents, siblings to each other. At work, everywhere we go to serve. A heart of serving. And as a, a body of believers that comes together and sings the songs and enjoys the company of other believers who are on the same journey of trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and, and sort life out together. We come together and we can serve together with the synergy and energy of, of a team that can make a difference by providing this church through a lot of volunteer and, and, and get involved in our community and do the things we do. And we do a lot. We try to do a lot for our size church. And I think we do. I'm reminded every week, I was reminded twice this past week of the impact of all the things that we, we don't even know is being done because it, ma it matters. Here. In a little while, Anthony's going to come up here again. He's going to discuss some opportunities to serve in some areas within Need Within Lighthouse. And I hope that you'll consider. You, you know where you are in life and you know what you can handle. That's fine. Um, this is, this is, I'm, I'm giving you a vision but you know where you are. And we all need to be served in seasons of our lives and we all need to serve. They're both important. And if you're at a spot in life where you're like, I could do a little something and you want an opportunity, we have plenty of them. If you say, man, it's, it, God's nudging my heart to, to roll up my sleeves and say, what can I do? We have plenty of chances. He'll talk about some of those with you for a few minutes. But, but I hope, what I hope is this, that you'll consider joining us and those of us who are kind of 
neck deep in, in, the, in the work of the local church, serving each other and our community through the well-operated, the well-operated local church that is here for our community, for each other.